we've heard about the faith challenges of some families of Savannah. In just a moment, I'm going to be challenging you to make a, 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 a faith commitment, rather. Uh, but first, I want to introduce you to someone else who made a faith commitment, which led to a faith commitment. Debbie, tell us a little bit about your story and the experience you had. I will. Thank you. Um, my name is Debbie Schauberger, and I've had the opportunity to travel to Thailand three times with Living Hope Mission Teams, and it's been such a blessing each time. But I'm here today to tell you of one particular event and a time that was very special. It was the story of a young woman we met whose name is Lau. Lau was a 16-year-old Burmese refugee, and she was of the people group called the Shan. She was living in a Shan village with her family, and even though she was 16, she wasn't in school any longer. She was working as a housekeeper, and she was probably a Buddhist. Our missionaries go into the Shan villages on a regular basis because of the extreme poverty that's there. And yet they are there to teach and share the love of Jesus with these, these precious people. And so this particular year, after we had get, been given this job and finished our teaching, we went and broke into small groups so our team members could go out and share our own personal testimonies. Well, it just so happened that Lau was in my group. So after I shared my story, Lau turned to me, and in her broken English, she said, I know God. Well, that was a conversation I wanted to take deeper, and the first thing I thought was language is going to be a huge issue. And so I called over a national partner to help me, and it didn't take us very long to realize that Lau really did not know our one most high God because she was telling us that she was trying to live her life good enough to get to God and to get to heaven on her own merit. I had the privilege to listen as the national partner then shared the truth of the gospel with Lau. And before the evening was over, Lau was asked, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And she said, yes. So we gathered around her, we held hands, and we agreed in prayer as Lau went from a probable Buddhist to a sister in Christ. It was a highlight of our trip and a highlight of my life. On behalf of our missionaries, the women who were on my team, and myself, I want to thank you for giving to the gift for Christ. Because you give, we're able to go and see God at work in places all around the world, and I saw him at work in Thailand. And so, as the Thais would say, kap ka, thank you. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. Good work. A faith commitment led to a faith commitment, and that was possible. She was able to go, as she said, because of the gift for Christ. It's time for us to make that faith commitment and once again give financially to the gift for Christ, which will be a faith commitment on our part, trusting that God is sending us to dark places in the world. We have partners all over this planet, and there are people who have no idea about the goodness of God, and it's our our job to go and to share the gospel. It's all of our job to send, and that's what our financial gifts do. It enables us to send our people to join with our partners and take the gospel to hard places. And I want to encourage you not only to begin to pray about your faith commitment and the financial gift you'll give above your tithes and offerings, but also to consider if God is calling you to go. Going and sending is very different. 
I did not go for several years, but once I went, it changed my life, and it will change yours. But it requires a faith commitment to be willing to do that. God calls us to go. God called Jonah to go, and Jonah was reluctant to go. Did you know that Jonah was the first prophet ever called by God to preach to pagan people? All the other prophets before him were always called to to preach to uh, God's people. Jonah was called to go and preach to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrians, and he hated them. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so he had to have a, a, a moment, he had to have this time when God could deal with him so he could get real about his faith. And that's the series we're in right now. We're talking about how we can get real about our faith. Last week we talked about how we need to, to get real about our, our faith challenge. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Jonah chapter 1. In Jonah chapter 1, we learned about Jonah's faith challenge. He, he wasn't willing to trust and obey God. Instead, he ran from God. Rather than looking to the Lord and doing what God told him to do, he, he went the other way. And so God hurled a storm at him. And, and he, was, he was forced to deal with whether or not he truly believed or not. And so it was a faith challenge that led to a faith commitment. He was put in a position where he could finally see where God was. Again, he, he positioned himself in a very dangerous place. And whenever we disobey God, we, we put ourselves in a very dangerous place. And not only ourselves, but the people closest to us. Those sailors were put in harm's way because of Jonah's sin. He had to be thrown off the boat, and we'll see later who it was that actually did that. And then he was swallowed by a great fish. And again, we'll see who allowed that and caused that to happen. And it positioned him perfectly to be able to receive what God wanted to give to him. Please understand that the lowest places you can ever be are the best places for you to be renewed by God. Listen to what the Bible says. This is Psalm 147.6. says, The Lord lifts up the humble. God will send you through trials and challenges, and you will have to deal with thorns in the flesh and take up your cross so that you and I will be humble. He doesn't do that because he hates us. God does that because he loves us. God wants to lift us up. But before he can do that, we have to be humble. In our natural selves, we won't humble ourselves. God has to humble us. And once he has, then we're able to be lifted up. And this is the way of God. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses to take that which is weak, that depends on Him, to lift that person up for the glory of His great name. God humbles us because He loves us. God brings us through pain. He allows us to suffer so that we can know Him better so that we can know that our faith is real, our faith is genuine. Jonah needed to be challenged, and he was. And then Jonah needed to make a commitment, and he did. My hope for every person in this room today is that you will make a faith commitment. Some of you have never trusted in Jesus, and I'm so glad you're here today, and I want to encourage you to lean in and listen close. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you even right now to pray this prayer. 
You may not even understand what this means, but one day you will. Lord, give me ears that can hear and eyes that can see. You say, well, I'm not deaf or blind. Maybe you are. Ask the Lord to speak to you today. Many of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a faith commitment to make today. And I want you to be open to that. And I want you to even maybe pray right now, right there where you're sitting in your own heart, and say, Lord, I don't know what you're about to say to me, but I'm listening. Give me the faith to trust and obey and act in faith and commit in faith to what you have for me. Jonah was in a position to respond in faith. It was time for him to make his faith commitment. And so what we're going to look at today is his prayer. If you've got your Bible again, I hope you do. Let's go to Jonah chapter 2. And Jonah chapter 1 is where we started last week, and we, we saw how he got into the predicament he was in, that challenge, which led to his commitment. And that's what we're going to read about. We're going to see this last section. Ellie's going to come and read for us uh, the last part of the prayer and then what happened afterwards. So let's all stand together. There's a faith commitment, this is the end, this is the prayer, and then God does something that's hilarious. And so, uh, if you would, Ellie, start for, in verse 7 and read that part of the prayer. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and be seated. So, this prayer is actually what the book of Jonah is all about. This prayer, one commentator said, and I think I, I sort of agree, is what is what not only the book of Jonah is about, it's what the entire Bible is about. See, this prayer is about God's grace and mercy. This prayer in this book is about Jesus. This book is about, and the story is about repentance and being born again. Understand, this story of Jonah and this prayer in particular is, is about the journey of a disciple of Jesus. Everyone goes on it. Now, let's be honest and let's just call it what it is. This is the boring part of the book of Jonah. As a matter of fact, if you ever uh, read a children's storybook Bible, like I often do because I need the help, uh, you'll see that they don't say a lot about the prayers. As a matter of fact, my favorite uh, children's book is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, you need it, all right? Say, well, I don't have kids. Listen, we know what we're dealing with. You need to get this, all right? I use it often. It's one of my favorite stories about Jonah. It's found in it. And so in this storybook Bible, here is the picture that is actually there and says nothing about the prayer. It basically said, and Jonah prayed, and then the fish threw him up. And that was all. There was no real mention of the prayer. Friends, I think there's a strong argument that can be made that this prayer is the central purpose of the book. The central sense of the entirety of the Bible. Again, the only action is the vomiting, which is great, but there's more. There's more than that, okay? And so I want us to, to look at this and, and look at Jonah's faith commitment. This is his faith commitment. God wants us to have a real faith commitment to him. Listen to what I'm saying. God wants us to have not a faith commitment. God wants us to have a real faith commitment. There are many 
all across the world, but it seems that there's a, a large number in the southeastern United States who talk of being a Christian, but who do not live like Christians. I'll never forget, several years ago, a man had come to Bowling Green with his family to plant a church. He was from the north. And I wanted to encourage him, so I took him to lunch and I was talking with him about the area, answering all the questions I could. And he said, can I ask you something and you not get offended? I said, absolutely, sure. Uh, what do you, you want to know? He said, in his words, what's wrong with you guys? And I said, well, a lot. Why? I mean, what do, you, what do you mean? He said, I'll tell you exactly what I mean. He said, I've talked to almost everyone in my neighborhood, and they all say they're Christians, but almost none of them go to church. Why do people claim to be Christians and not go to church? I said, I don't know, but if you figure that out, could you let me know? Because this has been a struggle for me a long time. See, he said, you know what I love about the Northeast? When people don't go to church, it's because they're not Christians. When people who claim to be Christians, they go to church. He said, I don't understand this claiming to be something that you're not living. And I thought, there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? There's a lot of people who have a faith commitment, and it's not real. Let me, let me say something to you, okay? I want you to kind of soak this in. You might want to write this down. A faith commitment is only as real as it is lived a faith commitment is only as real as it is lived. Now, where do I get that? I get that from James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A faith commitment apart from real life living is dead. It's not real. So the question has to be asked. How can I know that my faith commitment is real? How can I know that this is genuine? How, do I, how can I know that I'm getting real with God? Well, good news, our text shows us. This prayer shows us what that looks like. And so I want you to take note and give consideration to this. First of all, note this. Faith commitments get real when we get how sinful we are. We first have to get how sinful we are. Now, if you would, go back to chapter 1 to verse 17 in particular. Let's get the circumstance in which this prayer is prayed. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish. Now, I do want you to know the source of the fish. This was not coincidence. This was providence. God appointed the great fish. God called it to be, caused it to happen. He is the mover. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. How did he do that? Well, Jonah was in the water. Why? Because he had sinned. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so it is there that Jonah makes his faith commitment. Now, what I want us to see is that Jonah was experiencing two amazing things at the same time. He was experiencing not only the judgment of God, but the grace of God at the same time. The judgment of God and the grace of God at the same time. And what we see here is this is how the law and the gospel works. See, the law reveals sin to us. Jonah being tossed into the sea was a result of his sin. He'd run from God. And whenever we sin, there are three different consequences that we need to, to understand that are going to happen. The first one is spiritual. When we sin, there is always a spiritual consequence. We harm our soul and destroy our dignity as image bearers of God. 
There is a spiritual consequence every time we sin. Secondly, there's a natural consequence. There are things that happen. We cause brokenness in our world. So understand, every time you sin, every time I sin, we sin. We not only damage and sicken our soul, but we bring brokenness and pain and more suffering into the world. There's spiritual, there's natural, and there's supernatural. This is what God brings about. It's intense, painful, terrifying conditions. We don't always experience or realize these. They're, they're almost always there, but we're not often or always mindful that they are happening. There are some that are so numb and apathetic to God that their sin no longer bothers their conscience. And let me tell you, if you can sin and it does not bother you, you are in grave danger. If when you sin you are bothered, that is grace. That is God being gracious to you. So if you can sin and sicken your soul and create brokenness in the world and, and have to deal with the supernatural consequences of God and then not bother you one bit, please be aware how how much danger you're in. Jonah was made aware. He realized what was going on. He was experiencing in, in, in finite quantities each one of these. He had harmed his own soul and caused his own depression. You'll remember last week he was in the boat sleeping in a depressed state because of his shame. Those of you who struggle with depression, you understand what it is to, to want to just sleep and to pretend that nothing's wrong and just for everything to go away and you just be there. That's what was happening to Jonah. That's what he did to himself. That's what his sin did. It had sickened his soul and it led to depression. But he'd also caused the sailors to be in harm's way. That's what sin does. It doesn't... It doesn't just affect us, it affects those who are closest to us. And he was experiencing God's judgment being thrown into the water. Now the law reveals our sin and the serious consequences that come with it, but that is also grace. Jonah was experiencing grace just as he was experiencing the judgment of God. The fish swallowing him was grace. The dirty, horrible place was the means of his salvation just as the cross is ours. That dirty, terrible cross where our Savior died. It's much like that place where Jonah was in the darkest of hours of his life. That cross was the darkest of hours of human history. And it was through that experience that salvation came. It was through this experience that God graciously revealed to Jonah his situation. In this place, Jonah was able to do what only grace allows us to do. And the first thing, and you see this in verses 1 and 2, is that is look to God. One of the greatest things God will ever allow you to do is to look to Him in prayer. Look what it says in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Prayer is a gift. We look to God by faith in prayer. Prayer is the machine. Faith is the fuel. One of the greatest gifts God gives us is prayer. 
And one of the places and, and, and experiences that will bring you the greatest happiness is experiencing God answer your prayer. I shared with you last week that, that in the, the last couple of weeks, there have been answers to prayers that I've been praying for some time. Even this morning, someone stopped by to say, hey, I need to talk with you this week. There is something that has happened. I believe it's an answer to prayer that we've been praying. And I gave, I gave God glory and I had a big smile on my face because it makes us happy. William Law said this. He who has learned to pray has learned the greatest secret of a holy, and look at this, a happy life. Nothing will make you happier than seeing the hand of God move because you asked Him in Jesus' name. There's nothing like it. Part of the reason some of you don't have joy in your Christian life is because you do not pray. And because you do not pray, you do not see the hand of the Almighty move. And when you do not see the hand of the Almighty move, you become apathetic to that hand and to that great God. It's only through prayer. It's through prayer that we see the hand of God move and celebrate. And it creates happiness in us, but also holiness as we commit ourselves to Him. By grace, we look to God. And secondly, we also look at the consequences of sin rightly. Look in, chapter, look in verse 3 of chapter 2. For you cast me into the deep. Now, take just a moment and think about that statement. What is Jonah saying? For you cast me into the deep. In chapter 1 it said the sailors did it. Who did it? Well, they did, but it was under the sovereign care of God. It was God. He knows now, Lord, you're doing this. This is a consequence of my sin. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. This is a gift to the Holy Spirit. When you recognize the seriousness of sin, you've been given a gift. Again, if you can sin and it, and it not bother you, you're in trouble. But if you are bothered by your sin to any degree, that is grace. Because only the Spirit of God can bring you to a place of conviction. That is the Spirit of God supernaturally at work in your life. Listen, in your natural self, you're going to convince yourself that what you did was not bad. You're going to say, oh, it was bad, but it's not nearly as bad as, and then you name whoever it is you think is worse than you to comfort yourself. But the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, it's a miracle because you can't do it. You, you try to tell yourself it's not a big deal, but the Spirit of God keeps bringing conviction, and you're bothered by it. Can I tell you that is grace? I've wanted to do this in all three services, and yet again, I will not do it in this one either. Here's what I want you to do. Please write down Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. And I want you to study what God does with His children when they sin. What love He shows them. What it looks like and what it feels like. Don't do it right now because we've got to deal with Jonah. But please, go today and take the time to see the grace that God does when we can look at the consequences of sin rightly. And the third thing is by grace we can look to God's mercy with hope. Look where Jonah looked. Look where his eyes went, spiritually speaking, in this prayer. Look in, look in the uh, last part of verse 4. I shall look again upon, what does that say out loud? I shall look again upon your holy, what? Temple. Now, what's that there for? What, what is that talking about? This is revealing to us Jonah's faith commitment. This shows us the object of his faith. 
See, he is believing in the promises of God. What promises of God? A very important promise of God during the, the time in which he lived. Write this down. This is 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. See, when King Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, he asked God for this special favor. Look at this. He said, Whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and, the, and, and stretching out his hands towards this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render each whose heart you know. According to all his ways for you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. What's this mean? This means is those who would look to the temple and pray with confidence, that's an act of faith in the promises of God, this favor was shown to them that the Lord would hear. So what is what is Jonah doing? He's He is acting in faith on the promises of God. He's looking to the temple. He says, I see my sin. I see your hand. I see what's going on. And, and I... I am looking to you. And what this is, friends, it's seeing how sinful we are. And that is a grace. That is a miracle. This temple, this temple speaks to us of Jesus. Because remember in Revelation, remember in Revelation it says there's a, there is no temple because Jesus Christ is our temple. See, the only way any of us can have hope any of us who can be recovered from sin is through Jesus Christ. When we talk about the three circles, we understand God's design has been destroyed because of sin and now brokenness. But because of Jesus Christ, our temple, and because of his death and resurrection, we can stop trusting in ourselves and we can turn to him. That's what Jonah was doing. He recognized the seriousness of his sin by the grace given to him in the Holy Spirit. And now he's looking to that which can bring salvation to his life. Now, before you'll do that, there's something else that you've got to recognize. Write this down. Faith commitments get real when we get how powerless we are. Jonah knew he could not overcome what he'd done. It's like the, the young lady Debbie was talking about who was trying to make up for her own sin, get to God on your own. You can't do it. See, when we turn from God, we go down, down, down. You think about what happened to Jonah. And go back in chapter 1 and look at this. He went down to Joppa. He went down inside of the ship. He went down to the bottoms of to where the mountains are. We see that in verse 6. He went down into the fish. When you turn your back on God, the only direction you can go is down. Without Jesus, our trajectory is down. We go down into the activity of sin. We go down into the consequences of sin. We go down in the physical and emotional and spiritual pain of sin. And that's where some of you are. You're broken. Your relationships are broken. Your heart is broken. Your life is not going in the way you know it ought to go. You're just not there. And nothing can change your trajectory except Jesus. Nothing can change your life except Jesus. See, Jesus can save you to pursue and recover God's design. Again, once you've looked to Jesus, the temple, you can pursue and recover God's design. Now, over the years of my ministry, I've had so many people say, Pastor, I'm too far gone. I've gone too far down. There's no way I can come back up. This marriage is too far gone. There's nothing that can save it. There's nothing that can make this right. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There is no limit to the power of God. Don't think that you're bigger than God. 
please understand that that's what that statement means. It's you're saying, God, I'm bigger than you. You can't lift me up. He can lift up any soul that will look to him in faith. I don't know what's broken in your heart and in your life. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what you've caused to happen. But here's what you've got to know. God raised up that man out of that great fish, and he can raise you up out of whatever great tragedy you're in right now. He has the power. And he's looking for you to make a faith commitment. He's looking for you to see that you can't do it. He's wanting you to acknowledge, I'm powerless. I know my sin is serious. I know this brokenness is serious. I know that where we are is bad, but I know I can't fix it. So I've got to look to you. And the only way you can have confidence in it will happen is because of one word, grace. Write it down. Faith commitments get real when we get how gracious God is. Look in the middle part of verse 6. I want you to circle a word. If it's the NIV, it's two words. If it's the ESV, it's one word. I want you to circle this word. Jonah 2, the middle of verse 6, it says, yet. Some of your versions says, and yet. There is a yet in the heart of anybody who understands grace. See, here's what we say is, I was in this condition, and yet you heard me. What this means is, I was in this condition and there was nothing I could cause to make it different. There was no reason, no logical reason for you to step in and intervene. Yet you did. That's grace. The doctrine of grace is this, even though you're in this broken condition, and I want you to remember this is so huge, God receives you. God receives you not because of what is in your heart, but because of what is in his heart. God does not redeem you and love you and embrace you and save you and heal you and restore you and strengthen you because of the love in your heart. He does it because of the love in his heart. He doesn't do it because we deserve it. He does it because of grace. Grace alone. Friends, we must receive this grace. When Jonah was as good as dead, look what he prayed in verse 7. When my life was fainting, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Now look at that prepositional phrase. Into your holy temple. These prepositions are very important. I told you the book of Jonah is very short on words. Every word, there's so much in every word. He looked to the temple right before, but now he's talking about looking into the temple. What is he talking about? Well, what's in the temple? In the temple is the Holy of Holies. What's in the Holy of Holies? The mercy seat of God. What's the mercy seat of God? Every year there was a day of atonement. And on that day, the high priest would sacrifice an animal and that blood would be placed on the mercy seat. That mercy seat gave forgiveness of sin for all who believed. There is no longer a mercy seat. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. When we look to Jesus Christ, we are free from the brokenness and the the sin that we cause. He now takes the punishment for that. Not only are we free from the punishment of sin, but listen to me, friends, we're free from the power of sin. We are now free to pursue and recover God's design. And that only happens by grace through faith alone. It requires a faith commitment. It requires a a faith commitment in the one who can save. Look at the last part of verse 9. Look at this statement and make sure you believe it. Some of you don't. 
until you believe this statement, you cannot have eternal hope. Where is salvation? Say it out with me. Salvation belongs to... Do you believe that? Now, I know many of you are going to nod your heads, but let me give you a test. It's a test I've given to you many times. Answer this question. What is your why? Why do you get up every day? Why are you excited? Why do you do what you do? Why are you motivated? What is your purpose? What is the meaning of your life? Why is it that? Whatever that answer is, is where your salvation is found. See, some of you, your salvation is found in power and popularity and possessions and other idols. Some of you, your, 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 yours isn't a good thing. It's my kids, it's my spouse, it's my parents, it's my career, it's my health, it's, it's what I can accomplish and do. That's why you get up every day. Because it's about you. It's about what you can get, it's about what you can do. And I want you to understand something. That's your Savior. Whatever motivates your life, whatever defines your purpose, whatever gives you meaning, whatever gives you emotional hope, that is your Savior. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. Some of you have a terrible Savior. Let me tell you what makes a good Savior. Let me give you four quick words. The best Savior, the Savior you need, four things. One is eternal. You need an eternal Savior because you're eternal. You're going to die one day, but you will continue to be forever and ever. So you need an eternal Savior. Secondly, you need a holy Savior. Eternal and holy. Why holy? Because sin contaminates and kills. Everything else is tainted with sin, which will lead to destruction. So you need a Savior who is eternal, holy, third word, loving. You are a relational creature. It is not enough for you to live by rules. You were made for love. You need a Savior that loves you. Fourth word, gracious. You need a Savior who will forgive you and love you even though you don't deserve it. Let me ask you, who is your Savior? The Bible says salvation is the Lord's. And either you look to Him and you get a new life, or you look to something else and you suffer for it. Please understand, if you look to God, things are going to get messy. Some of you are not followers of Jesus, and I hope you'll make the faith commitment to, to follow Him today. I want to tell you something. It's going to be messy. Some of you are, are children of God, but your faith has not been real. And if your faith gets real, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to get messy. You say, how messy? Well, first write this down. Being born again can get messy. All right? How messy? Look at verse 10. Vomit messy. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It can get dirty, nasty, messy. You know, when children are born, it's messy. That's why men pass out because we're sissies. It's just too messy for us. I want to challenge you to do something, not to do something I did. 
when I first made my first faith commitment, I was so arrogant. And I was so wrapped up in the messiness. And I was embarrassed about what it had taken me. I'd been arrested. I was embarrassed that it took that. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't know anything about the Bible. And I was around people that did. And it embarrassed me. And it embarrassed me that I had sinned and cussed and done awful things in front of these people that were Christians that I was going to have to grow up around. And it it really bothered me because I was so arrogant. And I wasted so much time in the vomit of my sin. Friends, don't waste any time in there. Do this. Look, just say, Lord, you know who I am. But I know who you are. And I am grateful. I'm not going to worry about what it took to get me here. I'm not going to worry about how messed up I am. I'm just going to be grateful that you love me. And I'm going to be humble. I'm not going to be proud and try to hide from other people. I'm not going to try to put on some facade so I can look better than I am. I'm going to humble myself and say, yep, I was, I was that and worse of a sinner. But I'm going to obey you. And I wish I would have stopped wasting so much time trying to look like a Christian rather than humbly obeying Jesus, which is what a Christian is. I don't know what your faith commitment needs to be today, but I know everybody in this room needs to make one. Some of you need to take your first step and be born again. Some of you have been born again and you need to come and you need to enter the messiness of dealing with the lack of trust and obedience in your life. Some of you know someone who's on the ship, who's in the midst of a storm. Some of you know some that are even in the belly of the well, ready to repent and believe. Friends, they need your prayer. I stand here today on the strength of the prayers of the saints who prayed for me for many years. Come and pray for someone who needs the Savior today. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this prayer of Jonah. We thank you for the centrality of what it is for the book, and we thank you for the centrality of what it is for the Bible. But Lord, this needs to be more than just an academic interest. This needs to be personal. Father, there's some who need today to come and make a faith commitment to you. Get on their knees and say, Lord Jesus, take my life. I trust you. I will obey you. Forgive me. I'm yours. Some of your own children need to come today and say, Lord, I've not honored you in this aspect of my life. Forgive me. I will trust you with my finances. I will trust you with my mouth. I will trust you with what I look at on social media. I will trust you in how I do business dealings and how I treat my spouse and my children, how I deal with my parents. I will trust and obey you, Lord God. And Lord, there's some of us today who just need to come get on our knees because we know someone who's in the storm, who's in the belly of the great fish of their pain and problems, and they need victory and salvation. Hear the prayers. In the spirit of prayer, come and pray as we see.